Hey, Printhustlers, Bruce from Printavo, Simple Shop Management Software. Welcome to another episode of Printavo Printhustlers Podcast. Our special guest, I'm going to announce him soon. He's uh, just getting a couple things on the tech side updated. What's up? And we've got our co-host, Stephen Farragut out of Campus Inc. <laughs> Stephen, you, Campus uh, Inc. wait, what, what were you just saying about that equipment? Just got, we're picking up our auto folder today. It That's exciting. It automatically. What a... Uh, there's so many questions like you're just doing so much fulfillment that you think or did you run the numbers or because I remember three years ago you were like eh we could always just hire somebody true but I asked all the shops slightly larger than me if mm -hmm. I should get one and they said yeah if you find one on liquidation or at auction or something where you can get it for a good price get it mm. and so uh I saw Is that what you did that's what I did. Um, Where'd you find it? Uh, there's a shop that went out of business suddenly up in like suburbs of Chicago. Had an inside lead at it. It's good to know your equipment friends. And they got in for me and uh, we got it. We're picking it up today. Auto folder, bagger, conveyor. I mean, we just, we just do so much bagging and tagging that uh, it makes sense. So we saw one, um, I think brand new. Like the whole setup we're getting is like forty or fifty thousand um, dollars, which that's a lot. And so we were able to get it for like fourteen, fifteen thousand. And it's a pretty nice unit. It's not that old. Um, and one of our friends, um, Wally, who uh, who installs equipment um, all around the country and knows everything about equipment, was like just basically telling us, "Hey, we're gonna need to replace this, this, and this. It'll be good as new." And uh, once he kind of gave us his blessing and said that he would help us. I was like, okay, cool. Cause I know nothing about them. Um, mm. And you're kind of buying it sight unseen too. So you don't know what problems it's coming with. Um, but this shop had like five for sale. What? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, major, major fulfillment. Right. And so we're not going to ever stop folding shirts. So I was like, okay. And the shop was closing down. Yeah. Shuttered. Wow. That's kind of sad, but that's huge for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, we're stoked. So, but you have the space too. So you just run it like off the dryer or just somewhere completely separate? You know, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. I just said bring it in and we'll figure it out. I think we're going to do some rearranging because it's kind of bulky, right? It's just like it looks like a tank. You know? That's interesting. And you do most because I've heard that it gets funky with, you know, hoodies or, or with uh, bigger items. But you guys do – I mean, do you do a ton of that or is this more – I mean, hoodies general? just – hoodies are hard to fold in general right? Like hoodies are tough. So it bags it and seals too at the end. Everything. Yeah. That's huge. The only part that I'm a little worried about is like, we have our really nice campus ink bags, which I don't know if we're going to be able to use anymore. Uh, okay. um, but a lot you have of to use the we defaulted actually... ones where you seal it. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Farag, you're talking about on uh, uh clubhouse. Oh shoot. There is echo. Hold on. Yeah, we were talking on Clubhouse. Yeah, you were just saying how much e-com you guys were doing, especially in the in, in the holiday season. Yeah. And it was it was nuts to hear the scale and then also with the repercussions of it. <laughs> yeah. With when you uh, ship out 10, customer service packages. and yeah. When you ship out ten thousand packages, you're ninety-nine percent perfect. That's a hundred hundred mistakes, and we are not ninety-nine percent perfect. You got it, Josh? I think I'm all good. Thank you guys for bearing with me all good heck yeah no you're good we'll we'll be able to chop it all together josh york just joined us he is our very special guest today out of detroit michigan owner of soft goods detroit we're really excited to be able to have you on steve how did you and josh meet this is a funny story <laughs> well we just met like a week ago but <laughs> yeah 
Josh, are you still okay? So you work with Will? Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. I uh, I started working with Will in 2016. I had to find a business partner to do this accelerator through uh, Michigan State, where where both Will and I went. I met Will actually at a bar the night before, or like two nights before, I had to sign on the dotted line, and we we ended up chopping it up and becoming becoming good friends over that summer. And uh, he always told me about his friends from his painting days, and he told me about the cool stuff you guys were doing at uh, at your businesses. I've been following you for like five years and never never really knew who you were, but Will always spoke very highly of you. And I, yeah, I then all of a sudden you started you popping up in Printavo things. And I was like, <laughs> wait, I know this guy. Yeah, we were following you too because you were doing something totally <laughs> different. And I think I was DMing with Will like last year and I'm like, shoot, we should connect. Um, <laughs> took long enough. But yeah, I'm excited to be chatting with both of you guys. I've uh, kept up and, and Bruce, you too. I've, I've been a customer. Of- I knew you from York Project or whatever that that's what like that's how I knew you tell us a little bit about yourself from 2016 to where you're at now can you give it to us in 30 to 40 seconds yeah uh so your project is a brand I started as a sophomore in college in my parents basement and um eventually after after college I graduated in 2016 I was a production or I managed production at Abercrombie and Fitch out of Columbus and was still doing my own brand um but wanted to start a start making clothes, like cutting and sewing. And so I quit that job, moved home, went full time into it. And our brand has slowly, our business has slowly changed. We continue to just become like more of a a contract print shop, sewing shop. And our brand has taken more and more of a backseat. And and really in 2021, like we're just pushing custom apparel, like from from the ground up, American made, cut and sewn, printed, embroidered, the full spectrum. But it's continued to shift from our brand to contract work. Wow. So York Project, there's a little like philanthropic part, sustainable part. Tell tell us about that. Yeah. So from the beginning, um, I didn't intend to start a clothing line. My goal was to do like a a charitable project. I wanted to provide needed items to homeless people in Detroit. And that was always the goal was to give every homeless person in Detroit a beanie. And I realized quickly that people have a lot of beanies and don't need them. So we started, um, we still do monthly outreach events every single month on the third Saturday. We volunteer with the homeless in Detroit and proceeds from the business um, go to provide socks, underwear, toilet paper, um, items that no one donates, but there's a huge need for. And to date, we've donated over $108,000, I think, worth of those items. And and as we've shifted, the mission's now becoming less about like giving items to people and volunteering, but like how can we actually employ these people in our community? And maybe they're not homeless. Maybe they're formerly incarcerated or formerly, uh, you know, just people from the community that are looking for work. There's a lot of cool things we can do with, a, you know, a, a print shop or a sewing shop. Like pe- you can train people those skills and we can really make an impact. And I, I know there's a lot of examples in this industry of companies that do that. And I thought, why not do it here in Detroit in our hometown? Wow. So did you, I knew part of it was to employ like homeless. Is that how you started? Did you like, were you pretty into that? Still, still very big focus for us. It's a lot harder than I thought. And we have, I think now we've employed four people that at one point in their life were homeless and and none of them were ever here for very long. It was always like a a transitional thing or like um, someone, a a part-time job where they were working towards something else. And and, uh, it's still something that we really want to get back to and like do when we can. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean to be making excuses. Like, like we should just commit and do it, but it's been a really uh, more challenging than I expected, but it's still like a a core focus of our business or a core mission. What are the challenges you've had with that? Probably the same challenges that you have with any employee. I'm sure you guys can both relate. People just are, 
it's so different when you're running a shop in your basement with your buddies or, you know, to like hiring people off the street that you've never met and like counting on people to show up and work hard and do the job and like get stuff straight. And like, there's just a million things that it's just a lot of work to, to grow that and to, you know, to hire people, but especially people with even more challenges than maybe you or I, like people that struggle to find ways to get to work or need childcare or like come in the door with more challenges than others. Like it, it just, there's just a lot that has to go into that, that I wasn't ready for as a, as a business owner. And we're still trying to figure out those processes to set up so that we can overcome those challenges and like do it successfully. Wow. Cause we don't want to be, we don't want to hire someone and give them a chance and then have to let them go two weeks later. Like that's not good for us or them. So, you know, rather than rushing it, we want to set up the infrastructure to do it the right way. Gotcha. So primarily now you guys are very much like cut and sew. Are you guys more printing now? More cut and sew? Do you like, do you order garments from SNS still? Like how does, what's the hybrid <laughs> of your business today? Yeah, um, we're doing too much of too many things. Um, we are slowly moving away from printing, honestly, because I just was never a great screen printer. Um, and we never really like hired that. And there's really great shops in the Detroit area that we've been able to partner with and slowly start to outsource more of that. I think there's always going to be a need for printing in our business because we do we do full cut and sew and sometimes people want things in unique places that you can't really do like along a seam or you know just different things that it actually makes sense to print them in panel form before we sew the garment so i think it's always going to be part of our business we do a lot of weird custom work that we're also trying to get out of. We're trying to really focus in and like getting our core, our core cut and sew work down. And then there's again, always like graphics because nobody wants to buy plain garments forever. So there's always going to be that aspect. So we're kind of like, I'd say 75 to 80% sewing work um, with a little bit of graphics on the side. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, being able to sew, I mean, Bruce Brissett's <laughs> doing it with scrubs right now. Like tell us about that journey. Cause not too yeah. many people say I want to start by sewing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I did. I didn't start by sewing. I actually did learn to screen print with Ryan from Rhina YouTube videos. I'm sure you guys have seen one or two of those, and just watching those in my parents' basement and got good enough at that. And then same thing with sewing. Like I, I got the. I understood the process from being at Abercrombie and seeing how like big fashion made clothes. But again, just I watched a lot of videos of people and, and I actually sewed a t-shirt a day for like three months straight. I would make one t-shirt a day and they are so, so bad. But like with anything, you just got to put the time in and like eventually we, we figured it out. And now I have people that actually are are good and know what they're doing. So, you know, working together with them, we've, we've just kind of figured out that piece of it and gotten really, really lucky along the way to get some good contracts that like force us to figure some of these things out and uh, leverage the network that we have to, to like learn them. What was your role at Abercrombie again? I managed production of um, originally fleece sweatpants and sweatshirts. And then I, before I left, I was managing uh, 6 million pairs of Hollister underwear a year, making sure so they got delivered. <laughs> I find that super interesting. Like wh <laughs> what happens at that scale? <laughs> yeah. I find the 7 million underwear fascinating. No, but like, I'm curious, wh what are the, the just things that maybe we don't know about producing garments at that such a high level? It's, it's really interesting. Like it's, I never thought about where my clothes came. Like no matter where you go, you can buy a, a t-shirt for everywhere. And like, you, they're just such a like normalized commodity at this point in life, but at this point in our like world. Um, but they're, 
it's it is weird when you like really think about that back end and like people assume that everything manufacturing is automated nowadays but clothing is one of the unique things you literally can't automate a lot of it because gar- you know fabric is so it's not rigid and you can't automate that and there are literally like millions of humans somewhere in the world that are doing this for me i got a great perspective when i started making the t-shirt and seeing how hard it was and how long it took and like realizing that Millions of people do that every single day. And it's no different than the auto companies here in Detroit. Like it's, you know, they're, they're just like widgets to them. And you, you write your process, you uh, assemble the, the unit. I, I don't know if that's exactly where you're going with it. but it, Bruce it, wanted to like, know if you could connect him to the, the guy that does the camera at Hollister <laughs> on the beach because his new job, he wants to actually like, he wants I to want fly that, the drone instead to see if he can live stream that to the mall. Uh, Bruce, maybe <laughs> yeah. I would trust you with the cologne. I, you know, you know what's interesting is just like when you take a, right, like we've all got awesome businesses in different niches, and then at scale, right? You know that that like ten years down or or whatever period down the road where it's ten x, it's a hundred x what it is now. The different sets of problems. I mean, we we were chatting with president of Bell and Canvas, and just hearing the true supply chain woes and the bullwhip effect that happens when different like pandemic, for example, and how it threw everything off is really interesting. And that's why I was kind of curious of like with Abercrombie, it's like we can't. I don't know get yarn for underwear or whatever you, you, was, you know, was josh was countries. everything produced here in the states <laughs> yeah, no okay. um i think like one percent of their line is I, I don't quote me on that but a very small percentage of their line is is produced uh they do some screen printing here occasionally they'll do like little capsules but everything's overseas and, um, and why why do you think that is right like obviously in la there's a huge garment district and it's interesting that you say detroit it's like you know it's like it's like our, our auto plants here is it that it is it is so hard to automate and that's why it's done overseas like what what do you, sure you cause been on the lines like you see this i think that it, it really i don't know i'm i could go on all day about the, the where the garment industry is moving but i think the garment industry left in the u.s because they weren't willing to invest in automation because it was cheaper and easier to just outsource to low-cost china and you know as wages continue to rise and transportation gets more and more expensive automation is slowly catching up in the states and and i really think that over the next like 10 to 15 years there's going to be a huge shift back to manufacturing locally because it just makes more sense if you can get your cost your you know your labor costs down and the best way to do that is automate so we're, we're the technology is definitely getting there and and stuff in china is getting more and more expensive and you know, the fashion world keeps chasing cheaper labor in Bangladesh. And now that, you know, there's a lot going on in Africa and like eventually those parts of the world, the, the labor is going to get more and more costly. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to ship things around the world. I think that's going to be the thing that, that breaks it because we make great, great cotton and great stuff here in the U.S. So, yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. The, the fashion supply chain is shifting drastically to your point, Bruce. Josh, do you spend a lot of time talking? Because I mean, like we talk to printers all around the country. Do you have a network of sewers too, like in LA? Like, how do you navigate this industry? Because you're kind of, I don't know if you're alone in Detroit a little bit, but it's its a little unusual to hear you in, in Detroit versus <laughs> in the garment district of LA. Yeah, we're, we're trying to build that network. Uh, to be honest, it's really, really challenging to break into. I, I think the the printing world and, and you guys have been a big part of that. I think I, I love like watching the forums on the Printavo Facebook page and like, it's really cool to see that collaboration because my experience in the fashion industry, it's very much not like that. Like people are very closed off and secretive and they don't want to help each other because you know, it's competition. And I think in Detroit, I've been really 
pleased with that. Like there is a lot of collaboration and that's what's helped me get my business going. But um, like I got a call from Buffalo, New York yes, the other day, a factory that wanted to you know send us business and get to know us. And like, I think that is starting to happen. And it, it's just, I think you have to build a little credibility first because there's a million people trying to start a brand or, you know, start there. But once you get so far, I think people, uh, I don't know, I, I'm figuring it out, I guess. That's super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Now tell us, like, I, I'm going to guess you guys have been sewing tons of masks. How did COVID affect you guys and i know you i know you've had retail stores like open at the mall before from just me stalking you back in the day <laughs> tell, tell us yeah. about that like did that pivot narrow your focus how was that it, it really did um we had a store at uh detroit area mall until february 1st was the last day um and i could not have been more thankful we were just burning cash there it, it, it just was tough like we were losing more money there than we've ever lost you know every month it was just killing us but during, during the pandemic, we did pivot. We um, actually doubled in size. We went from like four production staff last February to like 14 by June. It was the weirdest like fake business scenario you could ever get in a business class. Um, we were getting emails from hospitals like we will take 100,000 masks by Friday if you can get them to us. And like our four people at the time were like, yeah, right. <laughs> will you take... 2000. Um, it, it was just like an unreal, you know, demand versus supply situation. Um, and our supply chain was crazy too. Like we couldn't get elastic, we couldn't get fabric, like nobody was shipping. So um, we did figure it out, navigate it. We ended up making, I want to say like 45,000 masks, uh, 5,000 hospital gowns. And we hired all these people, got all these machines. And then weirdly, the like demand just stopped because Asia caught up and the world started to open up. So we had all these talented people and, you know, this capacity, but then it just dropped. And so we had to figure out how to pivot again. Like our brand wasn't selling at the mall. We no longer had PPE orders. And that's when we really started to figure out like, what do we want to be as a company? And it kind of helped us focus to where we're at now, which is trying to just, we're, we're basically trying to become a blanks manufacturer. So not a Bella canvas, not a, a little more premium, um, all made in the US, like really honing in on what those SKUs are and, and trying to figure out. There's a customer that wants that really premium American made garment. And that's what we're trying to, the, the problem we're trying to solve now. Wow. Did you have to scale down the business? Or were you able to keep everybody on with that transition? Because that's tricky. I, I've heard definitely a lot of shops that were stuck with either stock or, you know, when the mass thing pivoted. We did. Um, we, I think right now, are at uh, set or eight employees. Um, so, again, it was like cutting in half almost. And a lot of that was our retail team that we, we knew a long time in advance that that was going to end on. Our lease was up at a certain date. But, yeah, we definitely did have some tough conversations. And, um, we were also kind of kept afloat by a lot of grants for making PPE and all that stuff. But like that stopped, the demand stopped. We had to make some really tough decisions and really look at our business and see like, what do we really need to focus on and, and what resources do we need to do that? So that's tough. It, it, was a, it was a tough year in a different way than a lot of people. Like we were fortunate to have the demand and the growth, but then with that came a lot of other challenges. I think too, though, you had the ability to pivot, right? Like you could go from masks to blanks if you needed to screen print you could i think a lot of shops right now feel strapped they can't get a hoodie to save their life right yeah and that's that's part of the reason we're trying to get into that world because yeah exactly you guys hear people saying that all the time like where do we get a black hoodie or a black t-shirt like there there is a shortage and we have we were feeling the same thing like we couldn't get those same garments but like wait why don't we make them we have this beautiful sewing shop right here like 
it, it was a no brainer. The problem that we've had because we've been we've been getting it overseas and we've been bringing in blanks and we do a bunch of sublimation and stuff overseas, but your turnaround times are like three to four weeks and you're dealing with DHL and and whatever. Are you guys able to cut that off or are you like, what's, what's like an average turnaround time for a hundred hoodies? If someone was like, I need a hundred blanks. We're really going back and forth between do we hold stock or do we do made to order? My goal is to do made to order, but we're not that responsive yet. It probably would take three to four weeks as well. We're probably going to get there where my goal is if you order on a Monday, we have that on the production floor by Wednesday. We hold fabric instead of stock so that we can make it into different types of things, that, you know, different cuts or different whatever, um, like long sleeve versus short sleeve. So if we hold the fabric, we can make it start that project in two days and have it turned in a week. That's kind of my goal is to really get agile and, and be able to ship like custom made to order production runs on a short timeline. Wow. Wow. So wow. Check back in, a, in a six months and we might be able to take care of that for you. Wow. That's, I mean, it's just crazy because you can only sew so fast. And I mean, I've seen pictures of factories and stuff like that, but like you can only sew so fast. How long does a hoodie from start to finish, like if you have all the garments cut, right? Your yeah. patterns are done. How long does it take to sew that hoodie together? As with anything, there's a million details, but like, I don't know, you can, you can do a hoodie from 15 to 25 minutes per, per unit. So um, a lot longer than a screen print, definitely, but like it's it's not that crazy, and it it's uh, it's just a numbers game. Like if we know those times and we can hold our team accountable to that, you know, and there are also there are shops here in Detroit that also do contract sewing or like we, I don't want to say rent sewers, but if we need extra capacity, like we can contract out. 10 people from another shop that'll come work with us for a project. And like, it, it's, uh, we're, we're really excited about kind of having that flexibility because it's such a cyclical industry and like, you, you're not going to be able to get perfect uh, demand all the time, but just figuring out how to be able to flex up and down and like stay, stay uh, able to hit those timelines. So do you, so is the full focus now the blank side or are you trying to reach out to say brands or I don't know, construction companies or somebody that wants more of a custom fitted piece of apparel? Uh, probably both. Um, a lot of people that buy t-shirts as a commodity are never going to be our customer. Like in the next five to 10 years, we're never going to be able to compete with, you know, low cost vendors. Some of our, our, our clients, just as an example, we work with Shinola, Stella Artois, brands that want something that's premium and they're willing to pay for that premium thing, but they also want the customness and they don't want to deal or customize whatever that word is. Um, you know, they don't, they don't want to deal with overseas manufacturing or they need it faster. Like that's where, that's the, the market that we're trying to hit. So I think that is brands like, you know, streetwear brands that sell a t-shirt for a hundred dollars and, you know, do limited drops. Like that's really our sweet spot, at least in the short term. And my goal is to hit the, or hit a scale. And then we can start to bring that cost down and then appeal to more of the, you know, the construction worker or the, you know, the other industries like you're mentioning. Got it. How do you manage Josh? Like, you know, the reason I think we're all in screen printing, it's a very linear, easy business to run financially. You get an order, you order the shirts, you print them, you sell them for a little bit more. There's definitely like a lot more risk that you're talking about in this. How do you like, how do you handle that financially? Is it just having a lot of cash to be able to throw at it? Is it taking like, what do you look at daily to know what your next move is? I, we don't have a lot of cash. That's that's for sure not the answer. <laughs> um, I wish we did. The the big thing in 
uh, the, our, our real focus of like last, the end of last year and this year is uh, really getting standardized. So it's the same thing. Like I personally am not super process oriented guy. Um, and I was also the guy on our team that got Printavo going. So my, my team was real proud that I was taking, making strides. <laughs> that, that's been a huge, huge help for us. But we're trying to really focus and standardize so that we can make this sewing business as, as simple as a screen printing business. Like, you know, when you, to you, if you get to pick your fit and your fabric and your color, all that, you feel like you're customizing the full garment. Like you're getting, you know, the full custom manufacturing experience. But to us, we're just plugging and playing different SKUs basically. And so how do we make it as streamlined on the back end that when you do all your customizing on our on our website or over email, whatever it is, how do we just you know, print out that, that SOP and that spec sheet, hand it to our team that, you know, a digital cutter cuts it all. And to them, it's, you know, just as standardized as, as a screen printer printing on a shirt. Like there's ways that we can get there. And that's, that's kind of our focus is, is standardizing that and really honing in on what those things are so that it is easier to manage. That's well, how do you, uh, how do you think about marketing on the blank side? Right. Cause I think maybe there's some interesting things that you you're doing that shops can also do. Cause on your side too, yes, it's going to be a better fabric, but without people feeling it or touching it, especially now, you know, they are comparing uh, you to maybe, you know, American Apparel or Bella or, or whoever. So like, how do you think about that? just the branding and marketing? Are there certain campaigns that you've done or, or channels that you're selling through that that you found to be able to grow that business? Um, we're kind of at the early stages of growing it. So I, I would don't have any, any expert advice there, but um, one thing that we've got done over the past year and, I, and I'm excited about moving forward is so much of our industry and especially when you're talking about more premium fabrics and fits and that kind of stuff, it's all about touching and feeling and really seeing, um, you know, you can't represent that online digitally. So a lot of our customers also have expressed that they have challenges because they can't go to trade shows. Like they can see stuff online, but they can't touch it and feel it and really get that. So one thing we've done that I'm excited about is we actually send out a box to people we really want to get excited. We'll send them a box of like swatch cards of all of our fabric, beautiful imagery. The box is custom printed and looks really cool. Um, and, it, and, you know, it costs us $100. But if we send out 10 and we get one of those to convert, like, it, you know, the, the value of that customer is high enough that it makes sense. And, and again, we haven't done this super long we've we've only sent out maybe 30 or 40 boxes uh probably not even that many but we're seeing people responding to that because you know you get a you get a random email or, or dm like it, it's it's great but the, you know you probably both of you guys probably get a million of those a day um being business owners but if someone sends you something and you physically get a box like that's going to grab your attention um and that's kind of our differentiator is like our we do have the better fits and fabrics and, and customer service and we're going to go the extra mile to get your attention so that's something that i'm excited about that's mm -hmm. that's gotten some good early response and and we'll see if it continues to i, I think that that box value is so do you guys send that out soon what yeah. Do you guys send out little, like what for, are they specific for say a university box or I just Greek think box this whole or... box sampling kit, you, you're hitting the nail on the head, Josh. The box costs a hundred dollars. So what? Like when you get a yeah. box in the mail and it's got a card in it handwritten and it's got really nice, like I think SNS will send us like a couple boxes a year. It'll be like comfort colors box or 
you know, uh, Bella will send you it. And it's like beautiful. The whole box is like marketed and, and you open it. And I still have them sitting in the corner of my office. I haven't thrown them out. Or I give them to an employee and be like, yo, check this out. Here you go. That right there. I mean, if you think about a shop, even if you're a, a printing shop, and you have like a crazy, crazy piece of like water-based printing or something you did, and you just print that out and you send those to people, even if it's 30 people, that is so much more powerful than any ad, email marketing, Google, Facebook ads, like that's so, so, so personal. And I think you have to do that because that's the industry you're in. We don't, we're lazy, right? We are truly lazy marketers and we just figure out work that comes at us, but you're definitely forced into that. We just had a call about this last week of, of, of that. And I think shops shops should take that to heart. Um, what, what was the call about in regards to sending out more boxes? <laughs> yeah, right. So we're, we're very into, we do obviously like a lot of the jerseys that are all sublimated, right? Mm. I don't know if Josh, you do sublimation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we don't in house, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It's really hard, right? And so we have like beautiful pieces that we've made, and I mean, Bruce, you've seen them in the office. I was mm -hmm. like, guys, these need to go into boxes, and they need to get to customers as quickly as possible, just so every coach knows, like, oh, that's the jersey I have in my office, you know, or the other shop knows, hey, they can order those through us or whatever. And I was like, guys, they're like, well, it's gonna be probably fifty to hundred bucks a box, and it's like, okay, cool. Like two order days for it, you know? Um, yeah. It, well, it's like under the marketing. If you think about it, under a marketing budget of some sort. Yeah. I mean, Bruce, we do like it head. Yeah. I mean, it literally makes I've seen perfect you from sense. The bobbleheads. <laughs> that was a late yeah, I need, the, I need the bloody squeegee, and then you would you would have recognized it. Um, the funny part about the bobblehead is the first <laughs> one we did, the squeegee had red ink on it. So it looked like Bruce was uh -oh. like a red blade. <laughs> it, was a it was a Halloween edition. <laughs> but I don't know. I think people like stuff like that. They like getting yeah. stuff in the mail. Yeah. There's this, especially something physical. Uh, yeah. You're spot on. Our industry is all about, or collective industry, it's all about being top of mind. Because most people, like we think about this stuff all day, every day, right? The average person that's ordering, you know, sublimated jerseys or whatever, like they think about that once a year when they need the jersey. And, and I was that customer. I used to buy so that that hockey jersey for my uh, fraternity in college. Like once a year when it's time to buy, you start looking around. And if, if you know every year you're this batch of customers is going to be buying this type of thing like send them that box and get that make yourself top of mind and get their attention so then a week later when it's time to buy they're like oh yeah you know this guy at campus inc like look how great that quality is that's who i'm gonna go with like yeah. make it easy for them josh, i feel like you, you said you're lazy marketers that's an easy way to to set yourself apart josh you, you talked about going now into wholesale right you were very into retail this is something we're trying to do with our sublimation too is like offer it to other shops to sell. Tell us about your transition from retail to wholesale. Do you like it better? What What are the differences you face? I love it. I kind of somewhere along the line lost the passion for building a brand and, and dealing with individuals. Um, like I, I had some lady call me at 730 this morning because she wanted to exchange a size large for a size medium that she bought at our retail store in December. And she emailed me and didn't send me her order info. And so it didn't get to me and just all this stuff and like you know that's that's for one customer and it's we're you know by the time we make the exchange like we're making 20 bucks on that i respect the heck out of people that can do that and do that because that's super important and we i mean we believe in top-notch customer service that's like everything our business stands for so we're gonna do it and we're gonna make her happy but you know if you're doing that with 
one customer versus someone who's who's buying a thousand units at a time like it's just a very different conversation so i I love it like it just it makes makes it easier to justify that time and and also i'm just more passionate about it like it excites me that we can offer someone a better product than they're currently getting you know um and and we can actually make them do better in their business versus I don't know. I just, I kind of lost the passion for a consumer brand, I guess. Yeah. I think the interesting thing you say there is the time you spent helping that lady is the same exact amount of time that you could spend helping a wholesaler or like going, going, going to someone else that's going to retail it. What, what is your shops? That's what shops say too on the, on the wholesale side, right? With like the 12 piece order. I mean, that's kind of why, you know, I understand contract shops a little bit. Like we just don't have to deal with anyone else's. We just, we just deal with shops that already know what, they're doing and they're not dealing with the soccer coach or the, the, the PTA person. So what does, what does your day look like then? Uh, Cause it sounds like you're on the front lines and you're, I mean, you're, you're in everything, but what does your day look like? Lately I've been fixing a lot of sewing machines, but uh, we, we bought a really fancy one to do leggings and like, like a, it's called a flat lock. It's the seam you'd see on an Under Armour shirt or a pair of leggings. That's been giving us, giving us issues. But other than that, um, I, I'm really trying to transition more into, so we still don't do outbound sales. Like, like you said, do you go by Steven or Farag. Steven, but all my old <laughs> friends call me Farag. Yeah, Bruce calls Farag. me Farag. I said it wrong too. Sorry. It's all good. Steven, Steven's um, good. But yeah, like you said, Steven, like, God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, retail. You're talking about sales, sales. especially too, you're which that's really, what yeah. I want to get into is how are you getting these sales now? So yeah, we're, we're not, we've not done marketing for our cut and sew business ever. Like we post on Instagram once every week or two and we have so much inbound work and a lot of it is the guy that wants to start a clothing line and wants 10 t-shirts like that that's not that that person is not never going to pay for cut and sew like it's just a whole nother cost that people don't realize but that that's kind of my goal this year is to shift into more of the sales and, and really start to do outbound marketing and and going after the clients we want rather than just sitting back and waiting because they continue to roll in and we continue to grow which is great but it also terrifies me that the day those stop what we're out of luck so, Wait, so with that inbound, I'm assuming those are for cut and sew or is that for more screen printed work? Or, and then also, how, where are they coming from? Because you talk about like, you know, Shinola reaching out and, and some of these other really cool brands asking for work done. I mean, you're clearly doing some sort of marketing or else they wouldn't be able to find you some or unless it, you're doing the cold outreach. But yeah, we're, we're not yet. Uh, and that's what we're hoping to start doing. But Right now, it's been basically just word of mouth. Like we've had a retail store at a high traffic mall that we met some really great people. They started connecting us with other people, and it just we did work, and people loved the work they did. They got and they passed us along, and it's just it's been just very very organic growth. Which again, I know we're super fortunate to have, but we're trying to figure out the next phase of growth because that's that's really steady and it's really good right now. But now we need to. That's funny. Move the we, were talking, we were just talking to Kevin Baumgart, and he's he was laughing at this industry that says you guys just one day ended up here without trying to like sell very hard. You don't have any sales processes. You're not like hitting the pavement. Next thing you know, like, Oh crap, here we are. That's so true. That's so true. Well, the, the store then the store absolutely sounded like your marketing for a while, at least it to was. get it started. I mean, this is yeah. kind of like the Rockford art daily story where, you know, they were doing so much e-com and, and fundraisers that they lost money on, but it was like a lot of exposure for then people to come in and get sales then later. 
It, it totally was. And that, that was like what got us rolling. But then COVID hit and now there's no traffic in that mall. And right. it's a it's a very different landscape. And the amount of money we were burning is was not being justified. So in the future, like that's definitely and that's I think why we're going to keep our, our retail brand going like even if we put out you know six new products a year and it just like it's it's online and it, it, we've we've got a little presence like that alone does funnel business into our other side and sometimes we get people that come to our soft goods side and they want to get you know leggings that we only make through through our brand so there's definitely value in keeping both it's just we're, we're really doubling down on the the manufacturing side wow. yeah that's interesting. I'm curious. What what does rent look like at a mall? It's all over the place. Um, For uh, pretty, you know, was it a smaller? Was it like a stand or what? It looked no, sweet. We, I mean, we'll, yeah, we, we had a we had a store in Center Court. It was on right in like the we were three down from Apple. It was like the best spot in the mall, you know, for a brand mm. like us. And it's it was I think 700 square feet. And I, I can't talk specific numbers, but. Uh, it, there's a base rent that changes depending on the month of the year. November and December are like three and four times higher than other months of the year. Um, so and they change a, by month. Yep. And then once wow. you get a certain threshold in sales, you pay a percentage of sales to the mall as well. Really? It's like an airport. Like an Airports do the same thing where a percentage of sales go to the airport. So like, we'll just give you a range. Was it over $5,000 a month? <laughs> How warm were um, we, Josh? <laughs> it depends on the month, but yeah, it was in that, it was in the range. Wow. For 700 so, square. I mean, it's just like a yeah. marketing burn. Yeah. But, but they're, but I guess their pitch is, Hey, we're bringing you the traffic, right? Yeah. Until they, until they, until, <laughs> yes. Until and they then now it's, wow. I wonder, I want maybe get a good deal now. Do you think you'll ever like do pop-ups and stuff? <laughs> totally. I mean, I, I see us doing retail again. Like I would go back to that mall for a November, December pop-up like this coming year. Like there, there's definitely value in it. But why mall versus just a retail spot somewhere? Is it the traffic? <laughs> Have you ever been to Detroit, Bruce? Just drove. <laughs> that, only Detroit is a unique market that there is not there are not many places in this city that have traffic. The best traffic is at the malls in the suburbs. Mm. It, it's a it's a very unique area. Do you, do you think, Josh, you would ever come to like a Chicago? Totally, yeah. Um, the the goal with the brand is to get there where we have retail stores in Wicker Park and in Brooklyn, and you know, <laughs> we just uh, we need to get. We had to pick a horse, basically, and we were we were spending money in both our manufacturing side and our wholesale side and our brand, and we were getting a lot more inbound work on the wholesale manufacturing side. So we're really doubling down on that, and and the goal is to keep the brand running. And if we get if we get a huge factory, you know, in ten years we have this beautiful state of the art automated factory, like we are going to be able to crush other apparel brands because we have it all in house and we can control our costs and our time. And like, we're going to be set up for a really successful brand down the line. Wow. There's interesting niches of, of areas that it sounds like you already talked about a little bit where there are holes in the market that you could potentially fill. I mean, I remember Steven, you were looking at tie dye for quite a while. We just um, started sublimating tie dye last week. Really? Overseas. Subladai. Cause you can't get tie dye to save your life. <laughs> yeah. But there's that up? obviously black what? and does how is that how subtle do I look? Does it look pretty it looks close? Like a, uh, a a Gucci suit from the nineties. <laughs> Bruce might rock. But it, it. sells like hotcakes. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We're just trying something out because we're like we're getting so many requests for tie dye. 
The only thing is once you get into it, then the trend dies, right? Yeah. Oh, right? when you stock up. Yeah. So like, Josh, are you worried about like hitting a niche and then realizing like, oh crap, all the like supply chain catches up again? Like, cause you are kind of filling voids right now. But there are uh, the basics, like the basics never go out. You can't maybe the trends do life right now. Well, that's, but, that's what, yeah, that's what we're trying to fill right now. It's just, you know, getting any black hoodie is, is a great deal. And, you know, the hitting the premium market that, that also can't get their black hoodie. But then I, I guess to answer it in short, I'm not that worried about it. Like to us, our inputs, the same inputs that you guys have, you're buying t-shirts from a, a Bella canvas or whomever. You know, we're buying fabrics from American Fabrics in North Carolina. Like we can, we can shift and pivot that, and it, it's a similar shift to stay relevant. I, I, I'm not super concerned. Yeah, this is super interesting. I think the last call we had with with uh, with uh, Chris from Bella, right? I think it's Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, that was super interesting to hear it, and then to hear you on the ground floor and how you're dealing with it. This is fascinating because it's so close yeah. to our industry. And it's super rad that you guys are on Printavo and doing that and, and, and using all of that stuff too. Um, that's crazy how how it's all come together. I really, really appreciate all the insight you've been able to give us for sure. Bruce, do you have any last questions? Man, I, I always love the manufacturing side. I, I'm, uh, I think my final question for you, Josh, is just sourcing fabrics. I'm, I've been on the side helping my wife. She's, she's been working on, on these scrubs and she's in the healthcare side. So she knows like what she wants and everything, but sourcing fabrics has been really difficult. Like you just, especially yeah. with COVID cause you can't, there's no shows or anything that you can go feel and touch everything. But yeah getting the right fabric with the right stretch and this and that that has the colors available and so on so on do you like come across that with customers a lot with the cut and sew or do you have kind of go-to's that that you figure this out with yeah that's that is the challenge that that i was saying like it's really hard to break into this industry Uh, a very quick story when i quit my job i went to new york a month later and met with a fabric company in new york city the guy was like, yeah, I'll send you these, you know, these sample yardage next week, blah, blah, blah. Like, sure, whatever. Never heard from the guy again. Three years <laughs> They're later, very low key. Yeah. Or I guess not even three years later. A, a month later, I ended up finding a forwarder that would buy from that same guy. We had to buy it through him, pay his upcharge. He would buy it from that guy, ship it to us. Mm. Well, now three years later, we hit volume. We order from that guy. I have his cell phone number. I call him directly. And now he'll talk to us. Like, it, you have to, they, those people get so many small guys that you know want to buy 10 yards at a time and they don't they won't talk to you it's really really tough so that's kind of the the problem we're trying to solve because so many people want this custom thing but then they realize how much they're going to have to order and how expensive it's going to be and how long it's going to take and at the end of the day they'd be happy with these few options so if we have those options sourced you can again pick your fabric of like the you know the the basics and you still feel like you're getting a fully custom, you know, experience of picking your fit and your fabrics. But like, we've already got the hard part figured out on the back end. So uh, definitely it's a challenge. I, I wish I had more advice, but <laughs> you just got to, I, I guess for your wife, just stay on it. And uh, I'll convey the word. Yeah. For asking people. And uh, another good <laughs> thought is, uh, have you ever heard of the site Swatch on out of Korea? No. Ever check that out? It's a uh, it's like a wholesale fabric market, and you can buy little swatch cards for like a dollar, and they'll ship them to you. You touch and feel them. Uh, they have no, I think their minimums like three yards. 
Um, you, you pay a premium for that service, but they have a million fabrics available and it can at least, you can at least figure out what you're asking for or what you want. So then when you have a conversation with a mill, you actually know what you're asking for. So yeah. that's, that's another suggestion. Wow. With everything, finding the suppliers is such a difficult task. And for something, for some reason with fabric specifically, they're like hidden and mm-hmm. they, they almost don't want to be found. They don't because um, they get a million people every single day asking for, you know, the same stuff that you guys deal with in, in the printing world. It's yeah. crazy. It's Ooh, crazy. That's cool. That's cool job. Josh. We'll, ha- we'll have to touch base again in, in like six months or a year and just see see your progress because I think this is super, super rad. We'll drop all the, the links for uh, for what you're doing and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully some shops might hit you up for some, for some cut and sew, hopefully not 12 pieces. But, um, this is awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. This is Josh York. You guys can check him out at softgoodsdetroit.com. We'll also drop a link. You could follow him on Instagram. You can reach out. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you guys on the next Printable Pronouncers podcast next week.